Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 99 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also, and if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast is available now on our website, thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll find the latest episode there. You can also uh, click through to our YouTube channel where you can watch the video there. Uh, as I was asking you to rate and review the uh, podcast, well, I guess a couple things. We are right at the end of our run here on the podcast. This is episode 99, and if I really wanted to be a stickler about it, this is our 100th episode uh, because of the pilot that we had, uh, episode zero. Uh, however, <laughs> uh, I'm also, um, I was going to say... <laughs> And, and it, I was going to say an anesthetician, but that's someone who puts you to sleep, I believe, right? Or anesthetizes you. Um, aesthetician? Something about aesthetics. I'm, I'm a stickler for aesthetics. So for me, it's not enough to end on episode 99. I actually have to do episode 100. So next week, um, I want to say I've come to a firm decision about this, but I'd be lying. But I, I'm, I'm fairly confident next week will be our last episode. Um there's a I, there's a part of me that doesn't want to go into it now. I think we'll talk about it uh, on the last episode. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, as I was doing the intro and I was asking you to rate and review the podcast, just as I've reflected, just as we're sort of nearing the end of our run here, um, I did notice as I upgraded my, uh, how do I say it, my uh, operating system, whatever it is, the sort of technological upgrade I've had here recently, um, I did have to like re-download the podcast app or something, and so I did see that our rating on the whatever I, uh, Apple Podcast or whatever had had fell since the last time I had seen it. So uh, that either that either means that there are more poor reviews or people are just giving us bad ratings. But um, it's just kind of interesting for me as I come to the end and just <laughs> one. It's still confusing to me why anyone would take the time to write or give a bad review to a podcast like this. Um, it's uh, it's just very strange to me. But um, just as I, I come to the end and reflect on my time and think about what I want to do next and what the next chapter is going to be for me, um, I think it's just... Uh, well, I don't want to completely lie and say it doesn't bother me. I mean, I'd like to do something that people enjoy uh, and, I and, you know, whatever format that is available, whether it's public reviews or comments or whatever, I'd love for it all to be positive and, and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, I guess there's, maybe it just comes from getting older too, but you just, you kind of care less what people think about you. Um, and also I think, especially with internet culture, I think you just realize that the vast majority of people who participate in it vocally are very, very young. And, uh, not that being young necessarily disqualifies you. Um, but as someone who, 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 you know, I, uh, interact with a lot of online content as well, whether it's, uh, uh, video streamers or uh, uh, video podcasts or uh, whatever, and the the most vocal members of that community, or hell, just look at the comment section of any YouTube video. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, I would say, uh, intellectually bankrupt. You know, there's not a lot of thoughtful, uh, certainly not a lot of thoughtful criticism. I would say there's not a lot of thoughtfulness at all, and uh, very rarely do I even see any thoughtful criticism. So, um, 
Um, yeah, so why mention it even, right? I guess on some level it does bother me, but uh, it is what it is. Um, I got to be honest, I'm feeling a little sad today. Uh, maybe that's why my mind is going to the uh, to the bad stuff. But um, there's actually something else. As I'm speaking with you, I don't know what it is about. Um, it's almost like the minute you st- it's like the minute you you start to treat an issue on your car that sort of existed for a while. All of a sudden, things just start to go wrong, and it makes me want to like blame the mechanics or something. But it's like I formerly ignored the care on my car, and then the minute it got taken care of, now there's a thousand things wrong with it seems a little too um seems a little too uh serendipitous to to for it just to be a coincidence or or what have you but um as i'm talking to you the left side of my mouth is like very sore and it's not like a aching sore i i feel this i i've never had any of my wisdom teeth pulled and that's uh something that's supposed to be done at some point here um and the reason that it's sore is because as my wisdom teeth grow in, there's just there's just these periods where, you know, my gums are not used to accommodating, you know, the teeth as they grow in. So it's like it's it's like a almost like a canker sore on the inside of my mouth where like as this new tooth, even if it's just a little bit, has become present, like sleeping on it, the the my tooth like rubs up against the inside of my mouth and um it's uh it's just very sore right now, even as I talk to you, so um and I'm actually yeah, I feel like if I like I actually had this moment, I think we I think this we talked about this on the podcast where I was talking about like, oh I think uh I think I might have fucking COVID or throat cancer or something like that. And I ended up, I ended up going to the doctor and he took one look inside my mouth and was like, Oh, it's a canker sore. Um, which is bizarre as someone who doesn't I guess I like uh give you canker sores like sour stuff. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there's things that you can eat. Um, or when I looked it up afterwards, there are things that you eat that actually um, can make you prone to canker sores. But, um, but, um, but yeah, it just feels like it's my teeth rubbing against the inside of my gums. But um, yeah, it's bizarre because I've had significant work done on the right side of my mouth recently, which feels perfectly fine. I'm actually getting the permanent crown on there next week, but, uh, now the left side of my mouth is just excruciatingly uncomfortable. So, um, so that's awesome. And yeah, the truth is I've, I've just been, it's kind of been a sad week for me for reasons that uh, I think we'll go into, um, on the next episode, not entirely bad things, if that makes sense, but just sad things. Um, you know, school's about to start here and I feel a little apprehensive about that, <laughs> I uh, had set this curriculum for myself where I was going to review, you you know, I I took a year's worth of Chinese over the summer, and so just inundated with vocab and grammar and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I had set a curriculum for myself to review all that material. Maybe not all the the grammatical stuff, but at least get my vocab up to snuff. And I've done that pretty diligently. I would say for the first, like, four or five days, uh, I was you know, reviewing the vocab, I was, uh, you know, reviewing the tests that I had taken. Um, last couple of days I haven't, and, um, you know, there's really no good reason for it, except I've been kind of down in the dumps. Um, I also think I've tasked myself with too many things to do here, as I sort of approach the beginning of the fall, which was, I wanted to do a complete uh, cleaning of my entire apartment, which... Um, 
You know, I would say I'm a relatively clean person, but I would say over the last few years, my place has gotten pretty cluttered. And I would say about four, five years ago, I did this complete, um, I call it a douching of my apartment, where I went through and I scrubbed the I scrubbed every every wall. I emptied out the closet. I I scrubbed the back of the closets. I just basically did this complete cleaning of the entire place, and it was immaculate. And I remember looking around at that time and saying, now you have to keep it this way. And of course, uh, I didn't. The fact that it uh, got somewhat dirty is sort of indicative of my lifestyle, I guess. Um, Again, not that it's a pigsty. It's just, um, you know. I think like everybody, I look at images of like, uh, whether it's an Ikea catalog or something like I feel like I like I feel like I I do subscribe to the idea that your external environment is kind of an extension of your internal environment you know like if if your mind is cluttered and unclear and unkempt then I think that gets manifested in your uh, environment as well um and I guess I have two contrasting stories one is and I think this is what I aspire to, but I did have a coworker a couple of years ago, um, very soulful kind of spiritual kind of person. Uh, I was someone I was very endeared to. I think, I think they were a great guy and I forget how we got on the topic, <clears throat> but we were talking about, I don't know, maybe like all the things in our life that we are trying to live up to and, and the things that we want or something like that. But he landed on this topic that was kind of near and dear to my heart. And he said, you know, my place is a pigsty. And I was like, okay. And he was like, but that's just something that I've reconciled myself to. And I was like, oh. He's like, yeah, you know, it's just I've always wanted to keep it clean and I've tortured myself to keep it clean. And finally, I just, you know, in this moment of radical acceptance, I decided I was just going to let my apartment, my place be filthy because that's how it always ends up. And, um, you know, that's just the way it is. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. But he was, you know, he was talking about it as if it was actually very liberating for him to just sort of accept, like, he's not a clean person and he could spend the rest of his life, like, uh, you know, putting himself in a chokehold to, like, uh, be a clean person. But that's just not who he is. And there's a part of me that envies that, where I think, like, yeah, I wish I, wish I could get to that place. But I also know the benefit of like doing a deep clean on your place and just feeling like, you know, that gives you some clarity and whatever. And, uh, and I will say some of the most unhappy people I've ever met in my life also lived in filth. (laughs) I mean, I think there's a basic, um, you know, um, this is all complicated stuff that's really outside my purview to really talk about intelligently. Um, but I think like the, the you know the most uh I was going to say morbid example is like someone who's like a hoarder you know I'm not saying that that person is um uh expendable or that they're like fundamentally flawed but there's a profound disorderliness in that person's life a d- deep trauma or something you know and I'm I'm sure a lot of it is just living with uh, mental illnesses of various sorts but that would be like the the grossest grossest example that you can think of, right? Someone who's like a hoarder. But I think like all 
you know, disorders that you'd find in the, in the DSM or something like that. They're really a spectrum. It's a constellation of symptoms. And, you know, you can have hoarding-like qualities without, you know, being technically diagnosable as having hoarding syndrome or something like that. Um, you know, everybody talks about things like a spectrum. I, I sort of think of like a, a soundboard, you know, with all these mixing channels. And there's like, you know, maybe like a you know, a hundred channels with all these different faders and you can just sort of fade them all in and out. You know, these are just sort of the constituent parts of our characters or whatever. But you can have a little bit of, you know, someone could uh, uh, pot up the the hoarding quality a little bit or pot it down, you know. Um, I do remember, and it's sort of, it's one of these examples where my, my, you know, my brother and I will sort of swap these stories. And I really am convinced on some level we're living parallel lives not always at the same time, but on a long enough timeline, if my brother and I were to compare notes, we will have lived the exact same life, more or less. I think it was prompted by by me sharing this about uh, an experience with someone that I dated, but uh, he had a similar experience, not with somebody that he dated, but with somebody he maybe had gone on a date with or something in a, in a past life. But I remember uh, I ended up dating someone for about eight months and it was, I would say it's probably one of the most important relationships in my life, even if it wasn't the longest. Um, but when I met this person who I met on Tinder, <laughs> by the way, I don't know if people still use that app, but um, I had met them on Tinder. We had, um, I don't know what that sound is. You must be able to hear that. There's some kind of rapping at my chamber door, not my chamber door, but like my chamber wall or something. But um, when I, well, we met, we met at like this coffee shop, which is now defunct due to the coronavirus, which is crazy. I sort of went by there and was like, oh, there's that place where I met so-and-so. Um, but uh, your boy was uh, sort of a big pothead at that time. But we just sort of ended up walking around town, like smoking a couple joints, like going to the bookstore. And uh, by the time we actually walked back, um, uh, we walked around for like a couple hours. By the time we walked back to, past that cafe, there was like, my friend was hosting an open mic there. So I ended up like, walking in and you know feeling like a rock star because people knew who I was and and asked him if I could play and he was like oh sure he like slotted me in I went up there and I played and it was kind of a cool chance for this girl to see me sing and kind of be talented or whatever and uh ended up going back to her place and uh nothing uh salacious to tell there it was just uh where we, we wanted to we were having fun we wanted to keep hanging out so we went back to her place and I sensed some trepidation and I assumed it was just natural, like a guy's coming back to my place, what are his intentions, et cetera, et cetera. So I was uh, sensitive to that. But when we walked into her room, it was the messiest room I've ever seen in my life. It wasn't just, I mean, it's not like, you know, there wasn't like shit on the walls. It wasn't uh, unsanitary. Well, I, I don't know. It could have been unsanitary, but I just mean... You know, it wasn't like filth. It wasn't like you had walked into like, uh, like, uh, I feel like someone had told me anecdotally about like going into someone's place where someone had lived in for like 40 years and it was just the entire walls were caked in nicotine and it was just like, it was disgusting. It wasn't like that, but it was the filthiest room I'd ever seen in my life. And the entire floor was just a sea of like garbage and trash and their things, you know? And I, you know, I don't say this to give this person a hard time or to make anyone feel bad. This was somebody that I ended up spending a significant amount of time with and cared for a lot and uh, had a very uh, formative relationship, uh, uh, formative relationship with. But in a, but that room, seeing that room, I knew 
kind of immediately what I was getting into, if you know what I mean. Uh, and again, that's I don't I don't say that in judgment or to be harsh, but it was just, you know, it was a sad space, you know. And so I guess I'm trying to I'm trying to compare two things, which is you know on the one hand I have a, I have a coworker who's telling me they're completely reconciled to the fact that they live uh, in a in a very um, unkempt place. Now, not having seen their place, I don't really know what they're talking about, right? Um, you know. Uh, I've been embarrassed to show my place to people thinking it's dirty and then they'll walk in and they think it's absolutely fine. So, um, and also I will, I will even say, I mean, there was a period, you know, in my most socially anxious is kind of overused word. I don't know what to call it, but I was very protective of my space. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's uh, embarrassing stories I could tell you of, uh, times where I should have brought somebody back here, if you know what I mean. And, uh, didn't because I just couldn't tolerate having somebody in my space. And, um, I do remember my friend, uh, I don't know, I don't know why I'm hesitating on saying people's names these days, but, um, I had a coworker of mine who I think I was talking about this, uh, person I used to work with and I had to like run around the restaurant all day and it was usually just me and them working, but they had to come over for something. And in anticipation of that, I knew they had to come over and I can't remember for the life of me what they needed. Maybe they were like getting a piece of furniture that I was getting rid of, um, or something like that. But in anticipation of having someone in my place, I like seriously cleaned it. And it was, to me, it was like bare minimum of like, wow, like a clean place. And when they walked in, they were mortified at how clean it was. Meaning it was so clean, it was obviously staged. You know what I mean? Like it was so clean, it was so immaculately clean that they walked in and said, holy shit, did you like clean this place knowing I was coming over? And I was like, I denied it at the time. Uh, if they ever hear this, they, I, they, I, maybe they'd know exactly what I was talking about. Maybe they'd forgotten all about it. But at the time I was like, <laughs> no, like what kind of crazy person does that? And, uh, of course uh, that was exactly what was happening. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm just saying there's like, I don't know, there's two ends of the, of the spectrum or whatever. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know where all this is going. Um, I was talking about dating someone who was very messy. Um, but yes, maybe just having clear examples where seeing um, the disordered state of somebody's space to me was a clear and accurate indication of the, the, their the the dis- disorderliness of their life. Um, and also feeling that for myself as well. I mean, you know, I I, I will say this though. I think there's a part of me. You know, I have spent most of my adult life like fighting to change myself and like not be this person I was in other parts of my life. And I know for me personally, the part, the times in my life where I was the saddest, I was, I was living in the most disordered place ever. I tell this story and it's probably happened at least once or twice on the podcast where my brother wanted me to take care of a dog that he had found. And, um, up up until that time where I was in just one of these places where my place was like a fucking dump. I mean, I had this like two bedroom, two bathroom apartment. It was like one unit in a duplex when I was living in Tucson, Arizona. I had this two bedroom, two bathroom place. And it just was like, it was just, you know, books stacked everywhere. And just like, I was smoking in there and there was just shit on the floor. And like, it was just like a, a dump. And you think like, how does one person get so fucking messy? 
And um, I remember for what felt like no reason at all, I had just done this crazy cleaning on that place. Like I had probably just looked up and had a moment of horror or clarity or whatever people call it and just decided I was going to clean my place. And I did. And uh, that was the day that my brother came over and was going to ask me to take care of this dog. And it was, uh, maybe it was also just a convenient way for him to uh, um, to ask. But um, he saw the state of my place and was like, oh, actually, you, it kind of shows me that you're, you're supposed to be taking care of this dog or whatever. But the point is, is uh, I've wanted to do it for a while anyway. But I think as a way to sort of fight the sadness I've been feeling, I've been cleaning my place. And, uh, you know, I start, started with, you know, for me, it's, uh, just easier to just break it down by component parts. Right. So actually the area I'm sitting in now has not really been cleaned. Um, but it started in the bathroom and like scrubbing the walls and like, you know, detailing the shower and the shower curtain and the floor and like the, the ceiling, like even scrubbing the ceiling and the fan and like, you know, uh, going through my, uh, medicine cabinet, just throwing out a, you know, just random shit that's in there that you accumulate and going under the sink and cleaning out under there and like spot cleaning the floors and all that sort of stuff, you know? And, uh, it's actually a, quite a good workout actually, if you want to, uh, which is great cause your boy has not been very active, but, um, short of uh, biking, I probably told you I got a bike. So I've been using that as an excuse to, if something is close by, I'll, I'll bike there instead of uh, driving. But, um, but then uh, spending time with the kitchen, uh, you know, cleaning the windows, and really just trying to douche all the drawers out too. Like you ever like, you ever go through your drawers and just realize there's just so much shit that you don't need that you're just accumulating. And it's like the what was that? What was that person that everybody was watching for a while tidying up? Like Marie Kondo or something. Is that her name? <laughs> Kondo. Um, but it's like everybody was like going around and like picking up every object they owned. And if it didn't bring you joy, you were supposed to get rid of it. Um, that's kind of a cliche thing, but I also think it's kind of true. I mean, one of the biggest overhauls for me is I have, uh, to my left, I have these bookshelves. And it's your sort of standard Ikea, is it eight? You know, eight cell, you know, bookshelf. I have two of those. And uh, I always tell myself that this is the space I have for books. And when I ever get to a place where I can't fit another book on there, I have to, if I want to add a book or books, I have to get rid of that amount, right? This is the space for my books. Well, inevitably, there's I start stacking books on top of books. And then uh, until just a while ago, there was like three stacks about waist high, like in front of the bookshelf of books that I had read, right? So... Um, you know, I just basically filled like 10 grocery bags full of books from the floor from just taking things off the shelf and just, you know, cold heartedly just grabbing things, just snap, making a snap judgment like that disappears, that disappears, that disappears. Even if I loved the book, I had already read it. I don't need it. Like get rid of it, get rid of it. And, uh, taking those up to the used bookstore and trying to sell those and, um, you know, just getting rid of shit, just trying to douche this place out. And, uh, just trying to get ready for the next chapter of my life, you know, starting a new school, et cetera. It's just, uh, you know, in, in a way, <clears throat> not to get too, uh, for, for poignancy, but like, you know, trying to take stock of what I have and what's coming with me because, uh, you know, even just looking at like my musical instrument stuff, you know, 
Like I have this micro Korg, you can Google image that, that I never use. It's time to get rid of that. I have guitars that I never use that I need to get rid of. Um, you know, former stage guitars that have just been like gathering dust. Uh, you know, my, my old, uh, Martin guitar, not like a, a very fancy Martin. It was like a lower end Martin when I got it. That was like my first like real guitar that like has just had a huge crack down the face of it and sitting in its case in my closet for the last like 15 years. I think I recorded my first record praise box on it when it had a huge crack, uh, had a huge crack down it. Um, various shit guitars that I bought. It's, 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 I don't know if it's been a blessing or a curse. In some ways it, it, w- it was a point of pride for me that I always use kind of shitty guitars because they're such like uh, gear porn like for musicians, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, there's things I covet and look at and think are beautiful and want for myself and lust after because they're like supposed to be the best. But at the end of the day, every time I've needed a guitar, I just buy like a cheap, like two or $300 guitar. Um, and it's actually, it's caused me some trepidation too, like going out on tour and thinking this guitar may not be up to, is it up to muster? Yeah, this guitar may not cut it. You know, like maybe what you really need to make the investment in a quality guitar to get you through uh, traveling, et cetera. But um, anyway, I got a few of those I got to get rid of. So, you know, if you and I are connected on social media, you might be seeing me post like, uh, hey, I'm getting rid of my guitars. Not all of them, obviously. I got to keep something lying around. But um, and also like uh, I have like this turntable set up. Like I have this record player that I've had for maybe 20 years. An old Technics 1200 which I think are kind of sought after turntables now. They were like standard issue when I was younger. Like everyone had a Technics 1200. I think, um, one, I wonder if they still manufacture them. They must. But this is like an old 80s Technics 1200. And uh, it's like uh, years ago, I used to have crates and crates and crates and crates full of records. And when I moved out to the Bay Area, I just like kept one crate and got rid of everything else. Kind of like my bookshelves. You know, if it doesn't fit in this crate, it's not coming with me. And, uh, since I've moved out here, I've like tried to listen to records. Like I remember when I first moved out here, I used to do this thing. I think either while I was still looking for a job or whatever, but I would like listen to an opera. I would like drink a bottle of wine and listen to an opera (laughs) and like follow along with a libretto. Um, kind of a fond memory actually now that I think about it, but I just never listened to records. And I even had this phase like a couple years ago, maybe three years ago or so where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to get into records, maybe about the time I even clean my place. But I was like, I got a new stylus and everything, and I just never listened to a record, you know? And so it's like, I just want to get rid of everything. I want to get rid of that. I want to get rid of the speakers. I'm across from me. I'm looking at this. I have this monitor and DVD player I've like used like twice. The only time I've ever used that fucking thing is when my laptop or computer has died or been in the shop. And I have no form of entertainment other than my cell phone. I'll use the DVD player to watch The Sopranos. Because that's the only DVDs I have. I have the complete Sopranos on DVD. And so it's like if my computer is ever in the shop, I'm watching Sopranos. It's like, just get rid of that shit, man. I want to walk in here and feel like I'm in a new apartment. That's what I want. Because in a way, when you do that, I don't know. In some ways you feel like your, you like your counter is reset. I mean, maybe this is just what you feel when you live in a place for like 12 years or whatever, but it's like, there's something about when it's clean. It's like you're, it's, it, it is like you moved into a new place. You know, in some ways when it's very clean, you're kind of excited to be home. 
you know? It's kind of weird, because what you don't want is that anesthetic, like, when you actually look at photos of, like, the Ikea showroom, or, um, I don't know why Wayfair came to mind, I don't even know if that's, like, a fucking good brand, it could be a bunch of fucking garbage, but I'm trying to think of the, you know, whatever these, uh, very anesthetized, um, like, there's this show on Netflix, I forget what it's called, but it's, like, you know, Great Homes or some bullshit, but it basically shows you these, like, sort of design marvel uh, living spaces, homes that people design and build, and they're just absolutely beautiful, and they're the kind of thing that people would, like, lose their fucking minds over on Airbnb or something, but when you actually look at it, you think, oh, I would never want to fucking live there, though, like, you couldn't have kids in a space like that, you'd be too, you know, anything that they had would just sort of ruin the decor or the aesthetic, right, like, you can't have one of these very cool black and white, super modern, minimalist spaces and also have your kids fucking, like, Fisher-Price kitchen set in the corner. It just doesn't work. Like, I think I saw something recently of, like, uh, you ever see these, like, I think it's Variety. Maybe it's GQ. One of these magazines that does this, like, YouTube series where they do, like, 71 or 73 questions with some celebrity. And in some ways, they're, they're totally fucking stupid because they're completely staged. They do this weird, like, it almost sounds like a post-production voiceover that they insert... And they're the most, like, choreographed, is the word that comes to mind, sort of walkthroughs of these celebrity homes, and they ask them these completely bullshit questions that, you know, you realize half the actors can't act because they're trying to act casual, like they're hearing it for the first time, and it's the most rehearsed thing in the world. And I guess that's appropriate if if that's what you want, right? Um, But uh, they did one with, uh, I think it was Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, and you realize they live in this completely minimalist, like practically empty home. I think they call it like a cathedral or some bullshit. Of course they do. But it's just like, you you can't like have kids in a space like this. Like they need things, you know? Um, anyway, who the fuck cares? I think I'm just trying to say, what's the happy medium between uh, super immaculate, super clean and cozy? Well, at the end of the day, I'm sure it's just whatever we all live in, right? Like, none of us really live in an Ikea catalog, and very few of us, you know, live in a complete pigsty. And if you do, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about it. I will say, though, if you ever do want to start cleaning that place up, just tackle it one bit at a time. Like anything in life. Don't look at the whole kit and caboodle. Just sort of chip away at it. You know, maybe for you it's, uh, you know, today I'm going to clean the shower. And then tomorrow I'll clean the, the bathroom sink. And then I'll clean the toilet. You know, just do one little bit every day. Yeah, it does feel good to start over. Um, well, what else is going on? Well, um, I'm trying to think. I watched, uh, uh, I feel like I mentioned my brother like fucking ten times in this episode, but my brother uh, did recommend that I see this new movie called The Green Knight. And uh, it's, I don't know, I guess, you know, with the whole COVID thing, I don't. I, I guess movies are in theaters and people go see movies, which is fucking nuts to me. But um, most studios are also simultaneously releasing things online, and uh, you know this is a new film from A twenty four, which is like the new uh, or the newest, like kind of cool. Um, I don't know if you say like dis- distributor or I don't know what you call it, but all the cool movies are like A twenty four films. Like for a while, like when like in the nineties, it was like focused features. Like, if you were, like, a serious filmmaker, a cool 
serious filmmaker, your films were like focus feature films. Now A24 is like the new shit. Um, but, uh, it is very cool. And it's a retelling of Sir Gowan and the Green Knights or Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. And, um, I had read that years ago. Again, when I was in Tucson, I was going through this whole like myth and legend phase for the first time. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I had read like the once in feature King and, uh, tried to read, um, uh, what's the, you know, Lamorte de Arthur, you know, uh, sort of big Arthur, whatever, a lot of Troilus and Cressida and all that sort of stuff. But, um, actually Troilus and Cressida, I think is like the Trojan War, actually, now that I think about it. But, um, the point is, is that I had read it, didn't really remember it. It had been on my mind, obviously, because, uh, my producer Gowan is obviously named after Sir Gowan, I'm sure. And, uh, but uh, this was like going to be a very kind of cool modern film, and uh, it really is. It's really really cool. You can rent it on Amazon Prime, which I really recommend. It's not cheap. It's like twenty dollars to rent right now. If you want to wait, you can. It'll probably be cheaper pretty soon. But uh, it's it's really really good, and uh, it's just a very cool modern take on kind of the hero uh, hero's journey archetype, you know, and. Uh, I say modern because it's it's sort of modern stylistically. It's like a modern film. It's very, of course, it's it's antiquated. It's set in who the fuck knows some medieval whatever the fuck. But uh, it's shot very modern and it's cool and um, you know very stylized. I would say a little over stylized at first. For the in the very beginning, I was feeling like oh this movie is a little too cool for school. But once the film really gets underway, it really sort of settles into its uh, style, and it's very cool, and it's just exciting to watch how things are unfolding. And uh, it's just this really cool blend of, like, sort of medieval knight errantry, but also, like, magic and mysticism, and kind of the supernatural, but also with this kind of, like, modern realism, in a weird way. And uh, I would say the middle meanders a fair amount. I think they could probably have cut about 30 minutes out of the center of the movie. But the falling action in the movie is really incredible, too. The sort of penultimate scene, which is kind of what we're uh, in in this podcast, the penultimate scene of this podcast. But um, the penultimate scene of the movie and then the final sort of confrontation. Um, and there's this kind of protracted falling action, which is very cool. But um, just very, very cool. It's so rare these days that like you watch a movie and you really feel like you're in the hands of a real filmmaker. Like There's a lot of movies, most of them just kind of rest on like the topic. You know, we talked, I mean, the, the, the example I always go back to is, uh, uh, I was going to say Midnight, Moonlight, which to me is like the perfect example of a movie that's, you know, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just not whatever, it's not a great film, which is what everyone treats it as. It's just, it's a topical, competent movie that actually, when you really think about it, you could probably find a lot of problems with it as well in terms of its messaging. I think it's a kind of a neutered you know, uh, presentation of, uh, homoeroticism that, that sort of white straight audiences can palette. But, uh, it's just also not like a good film. Like there are moments of good filmmaking, but it's like you watch a movie like the green Knight, and you go, Oh fuck man. Like this is like a real fucking film, you know? Like it's, the, it's not just like the, it has not, it's not just the topic that people watch. And like you see every element of filmmaking come together to create like a visceral impact visuals, score, uh, shooting, production design, everything. And there's so much, you can tell every detail of the film is like telling a story. Like 
things pan out later in the film, but as you're watching it, you're like, why are those two characters like so pale? You know, like every part of it's been so thoroughly considered, you know? And, uh, yeah, anyway, just, just a fucking great movie. So I highly recommend it. It did get me thinking about like, what is, like I, as I was watching it, it was just like getting me back in this space where I think about like other movies that I've seen that have just sort of excited me recently. And they're so fucking few and far between, but the people who come to mind and it's kind of exciting too, because, um, just looking at, actually there's a lot of cool things coming down the pike and they're all through a 24. But, um, I had known that one of the Coen brothers was making a Macbeth movie. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you fucking know your boy loves Macbeth. And, um, it's not, uh, you know, the Coen brothers usually make films together. I think it's just Joel Coen directing this. Uh, it's called the tragedy of Macbeth. It's with Denzel Washington. And, uh, of course, uh, I can't think of her name. Uh, you know her, she's in all the Coen brothers movies. She's married to Joel Coen. Um, uh, Fargo, oh God, she's in everything from like Blood Simple onward. You know who I'm talking about. Um, she's in it. She probably plays Lady Macbeth. I'm sure. What's not clear to me is if they use Shakespeare's play or if it's like an original screenplay just telling the story. Um, but that obviously feels you know very uh, very important, and uh, I'll be looking forward to that. But also, Sean Baker is a filmmaker I love, who's done other films, but the most famous films he's done are Tangerine and The Florida Project. And I'm pretty sure I talked about the Florida Project when I saw it in the last couple of years on the podcast. But he has a new film coming out through A24, which is awesome. But another filmmaker who I watched, who is also releasing his movies on A24, um, is Ari Aster. And if you're, you've probably seen his films Hereditary and Midsummer. But uh, I ended up re-watching Midsummer yesterday after watching The Green Knight. Or I should say, I watched The Green Knight, and then the next day I watched Midsummer. Uh, one, because your boy has a lot of time on their hands uh, as he's waiting for school to start. But it was also like just trying to revisit like films that I've seen recently that um, really impressed me. And um, yeah, it was interesting watching Midsummer again, because you know what's happening, so there's no like real shocks or scares anymore. But also just very cool to, to again watch how, you know, you really see from the production design to the writing to the narr- the, the timeline of the storytelling to there's just so many fucking cool details of like real filmmaking where you feel like oh you're in the you're in the presence of like a real artist like there's this great moment in midsummer and actually you, you know you don't realize this until you see a movie a second time but the opening shot of the film is this sort of hand-drawn mural and you see you know whoever the artist for the, for that piece, you know, did all of the sort of artwork throughout the rest of the film, you can tell, or at least oversaw it. Um, but it basically just shows you this, um, I can't even think of the word for it, but like a, a mural that basically, uh, a sort of paneled mural, a hand-drawn paneled mural that basically is the film. You know, the opening shot of the movie just basically kind of lays out what the entire movie is going to be. Now you don't know that right away, or maybe on some level you intuit that it is. Um, but it's such such a cool narrative technique, you know? And it basically shows you, like, this is the movie, and then it starts, and you realize, oh, it starts with snow. And it ends. It's the, first of all, it's the sunniest horror movie you'll ever see in your life, but you realize it's sort of a, a seasonal, right? It sort of follows, like, the seasonal quality to it. 
But there's another great moment when they first arrive to the place. And as they're kind of being shown around the, the cult landscape or whatever you want, the, the, the commune, compound, or whatever you want to call it. But there's this great moment where the camera, like, you know, they sort of stumble on this, uh, another mural, this hand-painted mural that's now in the film. <clears throat> and they say, oh, what's that? And they go, oh, it's just a story. And the camera, as it pans across it, and it's interesting because it's actually told right to left instead of left to right. It basically, without seeing that, you can't, you don't really, you can't really make sense of things that happen later in the film. But it's a great use of storytelling in that you read it, you are given an impression of the story, and although you're not able to understand exactly what's taking place in the panels of the mural, they have such a, a impact on you visually that. Uh, as you see it playing out later in the film, this is how you make sense of the events that are happening. Because otherwise, it would make no sense. Um, so just uh, interesting... It, I don't know. For some reason, it takes me back to like Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction. Which is like, the fact that it's told out of sequence actually helps you not only make sense of events that are taking place, but it actually puts you in a position where you're smarter than the characters. You know, in that you know what's going to happen to them. And that's just a very creative way to tell a story. It's not the type of thing, it, it's what lets you know that you're really in the hands of a filmmaker and that they've really considered not just the topical relevance of the, of the story that they're telling, but every element of how they're telling it and how to create an impact on you. And, um, and so anyway, yeah, I think this is just a long-winded way of saying seeing The Green Knight was one of those rare times where you see a movie where you really feel like, oh shit, man, I'm in the presence of the art, or I'm in the presence of art, you know, where you get hit by the spirit. Yeah, short of that, I've been spending a lot of time playing and, I would say, studying chess. <laughs> um, there's this event happening in St. Louis right now called the Singfield Cup. And today is actually their rest day um, after four rounds or so. But I think there's going to be a total of nine rounds. <clears throat> but it's a sort of, um, like, the, uh, at the St. Louis Chess Club, they just had an event called the um, um, Blitz and Rapid. Right? What do they call it? Blitz and Rapid, some, I don't know what the fuck, but it was a Blitz and Rapid tournament where they had like a, um, like Rapid, which I think is like sub 15 or something like that, or maybe it is 15 minute games or whatever, and then they had uh like, or maybe, maybe I take that back, maybe it was like 30 and then 15, I can't remember, maybe it was like three, three or five minute games, I don't know, but it's basically they play at a rapid speed, like classical length chess is usually like fucking five and a half hours, um, so anyway, the, the, the Singfield Cup that's happening now is more classical length chess, even though it's, it's still relatively short. I think it's like 90 minutes for the first 40 moves, and then if they meet the time control, I think, I don't know what it is, I think they have like 30 minutes after that. But anyway, um, they've been doing these really cool live streams of the event. So as I've been like cleaning my place, I'll have like the, the Singfield Cup stream on in the background, which has been very interesting. But I've also been spending a lot of time on this site Chessable that I was telling you about. And uh, working through these lessons on chess.com and even like going back to some of the chess books that I have and just setting up my board. As I have more space now, I, I brought out my chess table that I have, frankly. Uh, if you've seen my video, I'm a pawn, you've seen the table and the pieces. But um, just sort of playing through books with that and stuff and, uh, you know, just trying to, honestly, trying to stay busy before school starts here. And trying to, I don't know, trying to feel like I'm doing something productive, whether it's cleaning or learning chess. I'm really just trying to keep my mind distracted to keep the blues away.
It's kind of funny as I'm doing this podcast, I could hear that there are sort of people outside my place and, uh, I feel something's like, I feel like I have a bug on me. Um, but it was like making me think like, Oh, uh, I'm always like self-conscious that people can like hear what I'm saying. And I was sort of having a laugh. Uh, uh, I mentioned that I, I work on a crisis line and one of my things is, uh, training. And part of my training is I have to do these role plays and, uh, uh, usually I have to play the part of the caller. So sometimes, uh, I'll, I'll basically like be pacing around my apartment with like my earpiece on as I'm connected with someone remotely and we're doing this role play where I'm playing the part of a caller and, uh, you know, it's like, we call it like a high risk role play. I'm playing the part of somebody who's having thoughts of suicide may have a plan, may have the means with them. Um, and you know, it just gives the trainee an opportunity to sort of practice what it would be like in that situation. So I'm in my place, like speaking very loudly, like talking about like having thoughts of suicide and having a plan and having the means with me. And I'm always concerned that like someone outside my door can hear that and think, wow, shit's uh, wow. That person's like <laughs> in a really difficult spot right now. And, um, so I don't know. It's made, it's made me feel very self-conscious. And in a way, actually, as I'm sort of coming up against, I don't want to sound too poignant here, but as I was just saying, like, I'm trying to keep myself busy to sort of keep the blues away. I'm also, my, my thought right after that was, and here we are not quite to the end of the podcast, but you know, we have about 15 minutes left here together and thinking two things. One, once I'm done with this, you know, how am I going to spend the rest of my evening? I'll, you know, just sort of keep myself occupied so that I don't feel sad. Of course, it's going to be getting the podcast up, getting all the elements together, uh, together, um, getting things uploaded, etc. And that'll take some time. But then it's like, how am I going to spend the rest of the night? Well, maybe you play some chess, maybe you watch a movie. Um, but the other side of that is thinking, well, and, and also running out of things to say, you know, what do you, what do you say to sort of fill that silence? What could come up? I mean, not to sort of, uh, uh, marinate on the, on the crisis lines, but, you know, I've said, and even as I'm saying it, I know we've, <laughs> I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but, you know, silence is a very powerful tool as a counselor because, you know, it can actually shatter rapport, I think, with people when you're just sort of talking, 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 talking. Um, when there's silence, things come out of the silence that you just wouldn't have arrived at otherwise. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> it was like dead silent in here and my refrigerator just kicked on. That used to be the bane of my existence when I recorded music here. I recorded my first two records in this very same space that we're in now. And uh, that was the bane of my existence as a songwriter. Two things, of, of, of course, like the, the a dog barking in the distance or something like that. But like a plane flying overhead, uh, the uh, refrigerator kicking on, 
you know, you would have these requirements and, and you sort of get used to it. You don't really understand how that impacts stuff, but it's like, you know, you'd be like recording a song and in the beginning it's all very quiet, but then like if in the middle of the song, the refrigerator kicks on by the end of the song, when you hit the last chord and everything sort of dies out, you now have this hum in the background that's sort of permeating the recording, which, uh, does it technically ruin it? I guess not, but that's the way it is. But yeah, planes flying overhead. That's one thing that you actually like, uh, when movies are edited together, you don't realize, but like the, the n- sound is just a fucking nightmare, especially if you're like filming outdoors. There's always like a sound person who's like holding the boom mic, you know, over the, over the people speaking. And, uh, you know, they usually have someone who's just like sitting there with headphones, like listening for hits is what they call it, which is some background noise. Um, like a plane flying overhead or something like that. Because if if you have that on the audio track, you can't edit that out. You know, the only thing you can do is like record new audio over it. I think they call it like ADR, something like that. Which, by the way, actually watching The Green Knight, you can tell that a lot of the um, the speaking was sort of recorded afterwards. Um, and usually that's because there was, you know, some, you know, day of production thing with sound that was just insurmountable usually. Um, and also... This is something you see too, like, you know, you think like, you, when you think very, when you think about how movies are shot, you just assume that they just like shoot the script and then that's what's found. But especially when you watch older movies, because we're so used to things being perfect now, you go back and you realize, you know, like I watched Tombstone recently, which, um, you know, I've just noticed that a lot of Val Kilmer movies have popped up because he also, excuse me, released this documentary recently, with which is supposedly made from all footage that he has filmed himself over the, the span of his life. Um, I don't, th- I mean, it was not well known to me, but I think he had like his voice box removed. Um, and he like lives with like this, like a uh, scarf that he wears around his face now. But, um, you know, he's, uh, anyway, th- anyway, I could go off on this tangent about like, um, there's this great documentary about the making of, um, the Island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon Brando and, uh, Val Kilmer and Feruza Balk, if you know who that is. But people just talk about the nightmare that making that film was and how Bill Kilmer was a colossal, colossal prick making that film. And Marlon Brando was a fucking nuts, which he is. Um, and uh, just the nightmare that making that movie was. Uh, so that's kind of the impression I had of Al Kilmer. And, uh, but I will say, when you see Tombstone, it's just like a fucking incredible role for him. He plays um, Doc Holliday, who's dying of like uh, tuberculosis, <laughs> But it's like he plays it in kind of a cool, almost effeminate, like, in some ways you you almost see like when Johnny Depp did uh, Jack Sparrow that he kind of took something from this Val Kilmer, Doc Holliday kind of persona, this kind of effeminate but very, very fucking cool uh, character. Um, but anyway, just watching like an older movie where you realize how much of the dialogue is like recorded afterwards and, you know, edited around and... You know, anyway, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just trying to fucking fill space and talk about bullshit to keep from talking about shit that I might really be feeling. Yeah, your boy hasn't had therapy for a couple weeks. Uh, my therapist has been out of town, so I'll be looking forward to that in a couple of days. And also just this pain in my fucking jaw, which sucks. But I guess all things considered, it could be worse, right? It could be stuck in Afghanistan right now, where people are, the Taliban has now uh, seized control again, and people are fleeing for their lives. 
I think I need to meditate again. As I'm saying that, it's both true and I also think, oh, that's why people don't like the podcast. Because it's just a dude sitting here talking about nonsense. <laughs> it's like a dude just like brainstorming his uh, grocery list. Oh, I do need to get milk. Oh, I do need to get eggs. Oh, God, I can't forget those posted. Oh, you know what I need? I need AAA batteries. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of funny as I think about like this podcast coming to an end. It's like... You know, I don't know what I set out to create or what I hope to accomplish or develop personally. I'm hard pressed to, you know, I'm hard pressed to, uh, you know, I'll think about this uh, over the course of next week because I would like to have some summary thoughts together for our last episode. But, um, you know, I did, I think I, I really hoped that by the end of like 100 episodes, I would have developed this facility, both as like a speaker or a host you know, to just sort of spit off the top of my dome and just, like, like come up with, like, cool things. And uh, I don't want to, like, talk... You know, I hear from people who listen to the podcast and, like, tell me they like it, and so I don't want to, like, talk people out of liking, <laughs> liking it because I know that some people happen to like it. Um, but I guess it's just surprising to me because I, I think... I don't, I don't know that I've necessarily developed the skill set that I wanted to after having done a hundred fucking episodes of this thing. Um, but, in, but in some ways, too, I don't know that I have... Like, sometimes I, 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 I don't trust my judgment. Like, sometimes, you know, like, there's been entire areas of my life that now I look back on where I thought I was lost and still developing as a musician or as a songwriter... I look back on and I, I hear from people who for them that was like the the best it ever was and, and they've hated everything I've done since then <laughs> um, so sometimes I, I worry that in my in my quest to be better like maybe my standard of better is uh, is just phenomenally miscalibrated and uh, if only I could just you know oh man connecting dots for you but like like homie I used to work with who just radically accepted that he was a filthy animal uh if I could just radically accept who I was and just trust what I'm doing, that I would be okay. And yet there's always the people who, uh, and I, I can assure you I haven't read your shit, but, um, you know, the people who, uh, clearly people put up bad reviews of this podcast. As much as I don't want to care, those people are just in the back of my mind, you know? it ha- whether Whether because it happens to coincide with my own self-doubts, but it's like, I wish I could take a bit of my own medicine and just be comfortable doing whatever I'm doing and trust that my heart's in the right place and I'm doing whatever I'm doing for a reason. And um, and in some ways, I, I guess I, I guess it's hard for me to really own this because, you know, it's the same justification that legitimately crazy people would use to justify their own nonsense, like flat earthers, you know? Well, the reason people don't believe you is because they can't, like, they're, they're sheeple and they can't stand the... Like, People can justify whatever the fuck they want with a lot of the same sentiments. So I guess it's hard for me to get a lot of traction out of that. But um, yeah, I don't know. One day it'll all make sense, right? I will say, and maybe this is like too big a topic to get on, um, you know, as we are nearing the end of our time together today, but um I have this thought as I'm 36 now. Um, 
I had this thought today where I was thinking, if you had tapped my shoulder at like 19 and asked me, not even ideally, but just practically, what must life at 36 feel like? I would have felt like I had not calcified in sort of of a, of a pejorative type of way, but that I would have sort of felt established in myself and in my psyche and in my sense of the world and my opinion about things. And, you know, not that I imagine that life would be perfect, but that I had sort of settled into something sustainable, you know, in terms of my sense of self or my life or whatever it is. And, um, I, I will say it is disappointing. I don't know if it's a, a bad thing. It's probably just an, an inevitability of life. But I do feel a little disappointed to be 36 and to be on the cusp of this new chapter and still feel like I have so much left to learn. Not just about life, right? Like, a, like the, you know, like like chess is like a perfect example. You could spend your whole life studying chess and, and you're not going to even like get to the tip of the iceberg, really. It's just, a, it, it's an infinite... Uh, mystery, right? Um, I mean, in almost like a fundamental sense, like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to spook anyone. And maybe I'd be curious to hear from other listeners who are 36 as well, but do y'all feel that way? Are y'all like me where you're like, I really thought I would like life would have felt different, you know? Like I have this thing with like hair color. And I think in some ways this came up on like the fucking first episode of the podcast, but it's like, I didn't know people dyed their hair so early in their life. You know, I just wasn't aware that you grew, that most dudes gray, begin to gray in their late 20s, early 30s. I thought gray hair was the thing of like 60-ish or 50-ish or something. Maybe your 40s. I didn't realize that at least when I was growing up, most dudes dyed their hair. Now it's like you just shave your head if you're bald, you, you let yourself go gray, like that's like the thing to do. Um... But it kind of, like, as you get older, you realize, like, oh, most adults are just pretending to have shit figured out. I think. I think. I think. You know, I don't want to spoil things for anybody, but if you see this movie, The Green Knight, it sort of plays into that, which is, you know, you follow this protagonist who's sort of chasing this idea of heroism because they're, you know, they're in, which actually, I didn't mention this, but, and maybe I shouldn't spoil it for you, but, you know, Sir Gawain is an Arthurian legend. You know, Gowan is supposed to be the nephew of King Arthur. In this film, they actually don't even say that. You know, if you do any kind of background research, you sort of go into it knowing that. But, like, even if you look at the credits, it's not King Arthur. It's just King. Guinevere is just Queen. You know, there is a Merlin, but he's not named a Merlin. It's just, it's very cool how they sort of do those things. Um, because in some ways, it doesn't really matter. But in some ways, the premise of that whole film is someone who sort of sets out on this, you know, this journey of knight errantry, this this heroic journey, because they were surrounded by people who would have these tales and these stories to tell, and he wants to make a name for himself. And I don't want to spoil it for you, and it's actually open to interpretation, because my brother and I were actually talking about this, but in some ways I think the thrust of this whole movie is that on his journey, the hero realizes that all these stories he's been trying to live up to his whole life are lies, And that actually there was a heroism if he had just stayed where he was and accepted the life that he was living. That that could have made him happy. That the thing, you know, that he thought this journey would sort of uh, fix something or, 
he would attain something for himself that he aspired to or didn't already have or was being judged not to have. But I think you can argue that he, in some ways he already had everything he needed. And it's sort of interesting because I'm, as I'm even, even as I'm saying this, I know that that touches on basically everything this podcast has been about. But it is interesting too, as I was talking with my brother about it, and I, I, I'm if I had to if I had to really think about it, and I'm not sure what his point was, but it was clear to me as my brother was telling me his take on the movie, I was hearing he was seeing his life, you know, in the film. The scenes that were most critical and important to him were things that. You know, obviously, I'm sure touched on biographical biographical portions of his own life, and the things that were the most important to me touched on biographical portions of my own life. So, you know, in some ways, I mean, these stories and these archetypes endure for that very reason because they are mirrors to our own, own experiences. But, um, but isn't it funny? You know, yeah. Again, with this podcast, we just sort of talk about whatever comes up, and yet, um. You know, of course, it's coming up because it's important in a, in a sort of fundamental sense to my my whole being or whatever. I mean, that's what therapy is, right? You just sort of talk about you know you think you're just talking about nonsense. I think even Freud talks about this. You know, everything's meaningful. You know, and if you marinate on it long enough, you see how it all comes back to the central story. You know, it's all coming up for a reason. Anyway, I do plan to reflect uh, on the podcast experience uh, as much as I mean. I mean, gosh, uh, next week's going to be so fucking crazy. So many, so many new things going on. I hope I find time to really think about it and even jot some thoughts down because um, I would like to have some summary thoughts for you about the podcast uh, in our last episode. Um, so I'll say more of this next week, I suppose. But uh, I do want to thank you for uh, listening to the podcast, if you have, if you've been with us since the beginning, or if you've even found time to pick through all the other episodes. Thank you. Uh, I don't take your time lately. It's, it, if you've listened to every episode, that's quite a time investment. Even if it's been in the background while you've done other things, you've still dedicated uh, a big portion of your uh, recent life to hearing me talk at you, and which is uh, you know, meaningful. And uh, you know, to the extent that you've gotten anything from it... Um, you know, then I guess uh, I feel fulfilled. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Not that you're going to be getting any updates <laughs> here in a little bit, but, uh, you know, I've said it to this many episodes. Why stop now? Um, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, if you want to, you can take a minute and rate and review us. Uh, see if you can bump, uh, bring that number up if that's something that matters to you. Uh, otherwise, um, you can watch the videos on YouTube. I still haven't done it, but I think at, at the end of our last episode, I did mention there's about maybe 20, 25 episodes that I have filmed that were never made public as I was sort of just figuring out the technology stuff. Uh, I will make those available. Uh, but until then, you can watch this episode on our website. It's been uh, neat. I've, I've needed to post it a day late because just the workflow now, uh, we're dealing with uh, higher quality video and just... You know, the exporting, it just takes a lot longer for God knows what reason, but it is what it is. So uh, I've just practically, I've needed a day to, to export and upload those things to YouTube. Uh, but uh, you can uh, watch the video at our website, thisismpod.com. Um, but yes, we will look forward to the last episode here. I will organize my thoughts um, and try to have something thoughtful to say about this whole experience. 
Uh, But until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao. For now.